With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Welcome in to the Establish the Past podcast presented by Clutch Points. Uh, I am your host, Blake Lovell. With me is my co-host, Dylan Reagan, and uh, we are excited to get things started uh, football-wise on Clutch Points. We already have an NBA podcast, but football season is here, so we're going to get things started on the gridiron. Uh, before we jump into all the reasons you guys are here and listening, which is uh, for the action on the field, uh, I'm going to throw it to Dylan because, Dylan, you do such a great job of explaining what this podcast is going to be all about. So I'm throwing it to you to tell everybody uh, what we're up to here and what we're trying to accomplish with the podcast. Sounds good. So, yeah, my name's Dylan Reagan, as Blake mentioned. I've worked with Clutch Point since the uh, company started, and we, at the time, talked about doing a podcast eventually for both sports, NBA and NFL, so very excited to finally get this going a few years later. Um, and the, I know Blake mentioned not too long ago the whole idea of us doing this, and I'm glad we're finally getting it going. So we just want to cover, the well, first, the name itself, Establish the Past Podcast. Obviously, it's a play on the like old adage, Establish the Run, early in the game to kind of set up the pass later. And now a lot of the modern kind of analytics are showing that actually passing earlier on earlier downs um, th- earlier in the game can actually set up the run later in the game and is much more efficient. So that's kind of the whole background for the name. Um, but for the podcast itself, uh, we have plenty of different ideas we're going to kind of dive into once the season starts with a couple pods each week, one reviewing the games from the previous Sunday and then one previewing the next Sunday. For the offseason, uh, or the preseason now as we're getting that going, we got a few different ideas. We're probably going to start with one a week, um, covering a bunch of different things. Today, our biggest section will be the one big question for every team in the AFC, and uh, next week we'll cover all the NFC teams. But we got fantasy sleepers that we'll probably eventually get to, um, different things yes. on uh, the one Achilles heel for every team that's a Super Bowl contender. So a lot of different topics we'll get to, and every everyone will kind of touch on news as well as our uh, fantasy corner where we'll kind of add in a couple of things, maybe related to headlines um, that are a little more relevant uh, rather than what was before. So yeah, uh, excited to get this going. Uh, Blake obviously has much more experience than myself with his <laughs> March to Madness podcast. So 
I'll let him lead the way and just try to keep up. <laughs> well, hey, that's uh, – listen, I know I'd say anybody that hears my voice that also loves college basketball, yes, you have heard me on another podcast. Um, but I'm someone who's probably covered NFL freelance-wise for maybe close to 10 years now just for various places and, and happy to be a part of Clutch Points and happy to be a part of this podcast. And uh, then we want to make sure we give our guys credit too because we are not the ones that, that make all this magic. There are two guys behind the scenes – uh, that are really going to be helping us out there because uh, that way we can just talk about football and we don't have to work with all the software stuff. Yeah, I'm not not an expert on that myself. But, yeah, we have uh, <laughs> Bob Garcia who works uh, for Clutch Points as a social media editor. He's going to be helping produce and come up with ideas, helped a lot with the plan for this first podcast. And then Jonathan Wu, who's a software engineer uh, for Clutch Points, he also will be kind of helping with the sound and – making sure all that he got this whole mic situation set up for me. I didn't do anything except press a button. So that is very helpful. So yeah, those guys are great. They both work with me at the uh, office for clutch points in Los Angeles, uh, both great dudes and couldn't be happier to have them working with us. And then also for real quick, I didn't mention Blake's been with us for, I think what a year now. Yeah. Um, and has been, I mean, since you came on, you've been a huge part of our NFL coverage. I think we really took a big step in our editorial on the editorial side, at least, um, with the last season and definitely excited to have you again for this one it should be a lot of fun and a lot of exciting things to talk about <laughs> yeah no we, we've got a ton to talk about and that's what we said that's why we're doing this because there there's going to be so much to cover and we're sitting here recording this on the, the first day of preseason games and there's already so much stuff to get to and and that just kind of shows you that that's where the nfl is now and there's so much stuff to talk about so let's jump right in. Uh, we got that out of the way. Now let's get to the meat of the show, and we start with our headlines. And, you know, we have to start, uh, I think, Dylan, with uh, the situation with the Cowboys. That, of course, is Ezekiel Elliott's contract situation there. Um, you kind of look at the way this whole thing is played out. Uh, we start uh, with kind of looking at some of the stuff that's come out this week from Cowboys beat writer Clarence Hill, who sent out a tweet, I think it was, may have been Wednesday, Tuesday, one of those days, um, mm-hmm. talking about kind of the situation and where it stands, where the deal that seems to be in place right now is more along the lines of what Le'Veon Bell got rather than what Todd Gurley, who, as you know, Dylan, is someone who is a very valuable piece uh, of the NFL puzzle. Um, you know, and, and I think that's the biggest sticking point right now when you look at it there with reports that have come out in terms of where they're at financially. Uh, we go to Jerry Jones, who someone who seems to never be concerned about anything, Uh, Here's a quote that Jerry Jones had about the situation from ESPN's Todd Archer. Jones said, you you just know like so many things that it'll happen. It will happen. Uh, There literally is no concern on my part at all about any time frame. It'll happen. The results are too good for them and too good for the Cowboys. So that's where Jerry Jones stands on things. Um, You look at Cowboys Executive Vice President Steve Jones. He also kind of added his part to it. He told 105.3 The Fan in Dallas that there is no momentum towards a new deal with Ezekiel Elliott. That's where we stand now. Um, You know, Dylan, I I look at the situation because of what happened with Le'Veon Bell last year. I I don't know what to expect because we've seen players that are willing to sit out, and there seems like a real possibility at this point that Ezekiel Elliott is not going to play for a little while Uh, when the deal is going to get done I have no idea I don't think anyone has any idea at this point yeah I mean after I think kind of last year with Le'Veon Bell that was the first time where we saw a player that was like actually followed up in their holdout for an entire season at least at the running back position usually eventually some sort of solution 
comes about, I believe uh, with Elliott now, there was a soft deadline where he loses an accrued season. His fines are pretty, I think they're past yep. 500000 now. Not that the Cowboys will necessarily make him pay that. Um, but it's we're going to touch on it in the fantasy quarter in case he does hold out because we have a few <laughs> running backs that um, you know might be pretty valuable pretty late in the draft, if even if it's for the first few weeks of the season. Uh, I It's hard to imagine the Cowboys running out week one without uh, Zeke but at this point yeah with Steven Jones saying there's no momentum I, I if I had the bet on it he'd probably say he's still going to be back week one but I do not feel confident in that whatsoever because especially with Jerry yeah. Jones he's a pretty stubborn guy and I do understand from their point of view they've they have quite a few a bit of money um that is just in dead cap so they're still between trying to figure out Amari Cooper's situation and Dak Prescott, and obviously both of those guys reported, uh, but trying to fit all three of them in with all three of them really being happy with the, what they get might be tough, uh, especially if they want to uh, keep kind of the rest of the infrastructure that they've really built around the rest of the team, which is why, you know, last year they were able to surge and make the playoffs. And again, this year, why they're definitely one of the teams most people think will at least, if not win it, the East and the NFC possibly get a wild card berth well if jerry jones isn't concerned i guess i shouldn't be concerned because again i mean look at jerry jerry has all the answers and um if he's not concerned then i guess we should just sort of look at it and say he's going to find a way to get this thing done but i don't know i, I have no idea because as we've mentioned the Le'Veon bell situation who knows and i don't think any of us have any idea how quickly this thing could play out but, you know, Dylan, we go from uh, contracts to frostbite, and I never thought we'd be talking about that on an NFL podcast unless we were going back to, let's say, like <laughs> 1967, where we're talking about the Ice Bowl. Um, but instead, we're talking about Antonio Brown and frostbite. And, and I don't, you know, if you had that, I guess, in your pool – uh, that that was going to be the first big headline for Antonio Brown and his uh, tenure with the Raiders, then you probably won a lot of money. But uh, we look at this whole situation, which has been talked about a lot this week. I think it's kind of started with Chris Sims. There was a report on Pro Football Talk um, where there were issues surrounding Antonio Brown. You saw his feet all over social media. Um, and then Chris Brown, or excuse me, Chris Sims, uh, was talking about kind of how it the whole thing played out which he talked to someone in Antonio Brown's camp and it seems like we found the answer in that he wore improper footwear during uh, a cryotherapy chamber session and that resulted in extreme frostbite ESPN confirmed it now we have no idea when he's going to be coming back it seems like at this point it's sort of a an undetermined amount of time before he returns to the field um, I, I don't, again, I don't think we were prepared to talk about Antonio Brown getting frostbite. Uh, if we had made an outline for this first episode about six months ago. Um, but my thing is, you know what, of the 30 teams that were available for him to go to when he was still with the Steelers, it probably would not have happened in any of those other situations. But because it's the Raiders, I feel like this had to happen. And of course, we were going to get some wild and crazy story right away with AB. Yeah, I don't know how, first of all, I'd be terrified to put my foot into any sub-freezing uh, kind of situation. I would be completely asking whoever is working there, do I have everything on properly? Is everything set to go? Like, I can't, I don't know what he wore in. Hope Maybe that'll come out eventually. Um, so, yeah, the timetable being undetermined, hopefully for their sake, it, somehow this all gets worked out and the blisters heal up before the season. But it's such a bizarre kind of 
situation because he can't really he's trying to run full speed as you see in the if you watch the uh, first episode of hard knocks he's trying to go yep. full speed but if he does that it's really preventing him from healing and so is he going to be ready when he's fully healed even at that point uh we've seen with ab it probably doesn't take him too long to get ready um but yeah it, it's it's disappointing and and the I think for the Raiders, you want to, especially not just on hard knocks, but for this season, you want to see what that version of the team looks like with him healthy. And for it to happen like this is such a, like you're saying, such a bizarre uh, thing. It definitely makes a list of the most bizarre injuries we've seen in the NFL. I think NFL research tweeted out a list of, I mean, you had guys like obviously Jason Pierre-Paul's whole 4th of July incident. You have a Jamal Charles, who in 2014 bruises foot carrying boxes out of training camp dorms. You just just weird things that have happened that don't really make sense. Some of those are more freak accidents. This was uh, definitely avoidable. Um, it, I mean, it's it almost seems like a, a drama on this team. It's uh, like happening before our eyes, and it's only you know the first preseason game for them is going to be I think Saturday against the Rams. So it's it's not the story like you said we expected to talk about. But it definitely is the most strange and the one that has uh, provided the most uh, meme content on the on the internet. <laughs> you know, if we wouldn't have actually saw a picture of his feet, I think everybody would have looked at it and said, "You know what? This is this is a hard knock story. Like we're creating something like this just for the show. We're going to get people to tune in." Um, but no, we we saw his feet, and um, it was certainly a sight. And and yeah, I mean, we were laughing about it earlier, but the Raiders, man, they just uh, they they've got some luck when it comes to this type of stuff, and uh, it's uh, such a bizarre situation. We'll see how it plays out. Uh, but like we said, still no timetable at this point for his return, and uh, who knows? Who, who knows how that'll that'll play out there? But we go from frostbitten feet now to Tom Brady who uh, I have no idea what Tom Brady's feet look like, but my guess is if they're in bad shape, uh, his $8 million raise this season from $15 million to $23 million with his new deal that he has in place, uh, he's going to get 30 and 32 the following years on that new contract with the Patriots. But the thing that has everybody going crazy is that technically Tom Brady is going to be a free agent, Dylan, after the 2019 season. Uh, he's also put his home up for sale in Boston, Connect the dots, and that tells me that Tom Brady is going to be the new quarterback for insert team here next season. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the Boston home thing, probably more of a coincidence like we had talked about before, yeah. um, or at least, you know, just getting out ahead of it. I mean, his career, even even if, say, he has three years left and they're all going to be in New England, he could very well sell his home, seeing it, you know, just real estate-wise, it's the optimal time to put it on the market. I mean, you, you think once Brady finishes his career, he'll probably move uh, closer to home where he's uh, Northern California, whether he lives in L.A. or where it is. Uh, so that could be it. It's not like he can't sell the home and just <laughs> rent out yeah. rent out another huge house there. So I, I people, yeah, I think most of the, the idea of him playing for another franchise seems impossible. Yes, technically he can become a free agent, as you mentioned. Uh, but I think it was just kind of a way for both sides to be more flexible. The, the one condition that he... Uh, can't be franchise tagged was a little peculiar, but yeah. I still at the end of the day, I, it's hard to imagine Brady say, thinking that his legacy is going to possibly be improved by uh, playing for another franchise, especially when if if the if they do withhold or uphold the rest of this deal, he's making thirty and then thirty two million the following couple seasons in twenty 2020 twenty and twenty twenty one. It's not bad, and I mean he makes enough money from his uh, off the field stuff, so. Yeah, I think it's more of a story of them, the $8 million raise, you know, just being a thank you for what he's done. I mean, he's, I think, 
I saw that he's now the 14th highest paid quarterback with the Rays. Yep. So <laughs> still right in the middle, still a very uh, valuable part of what the Patriots do is having more cap flexibility thanks to uh, Tom and his abil- uh, willingness, I guess I should say, to uh, take less money. I think they, I believe they have $14.5 million uh, in cap space left. So in classic Belichick fashion, expect them to start two and two, find some issues, and then by uh, the end of October into November, fix them along the trade deadline. Uh, they can also sign guys with that money. So they got a lot of flexibility. And at, at this point, no matter whether it's winning with a offense that's putting up 30 points a game or how they've held the Rams to three in the Super Bowl, can't really doubt what Belichick's uh, doing there with Tom. So, yeah, I think it's more of a story of, uh, you know, just them giving him a thank you, not really anything about him possibly leaving New England. If anything, maybe this could be his last season, but no way to know at this point. I mean, he just keeps going. <laughs> yeah, don't, don't get your hopes up, Cincinnati Bengals fans who are frustrated with Andy Dalton or Miami Dolphins fans who have no idea what things are going to look like there. Um, I don't think you're going to see Tom Brady in a, a uniform for either of those teams or any other team. Here moving forward, uh, he's probably said, and I don't think he's in a hurry, uh, even with this new contract, to uh, be going anywhere else. But we do move from one quarterback to another, uh, someone who's kind of been in the headlines, and it's it's due to injuries. And, and unfortunately, that's kind of been a theme that, that's been in place uh, during his NFL career thus far. When you talk about Andrew Luck uh, with the Indianapolis Colts, um, dealing with a calf injury now, and uh, they've kind of haven't really said a whole lot about it. I think Frank Reich, he just sort of was talking about earlier in the week, um, you know, moving around, being able to test his calf, make sure everything's okay. But they don't seem concerned, I don't think, at this point. Um, Luck's pretty confident. I think there was a story from Pro Football Talk where he had made a comment about he's confident he's going to be out there week one. I don't think we're to that point of being concerned. But, Dylan, uh, as I th- you've mentioned before, I think it's the, the injury history itself that, that's probably more concerning than maybe this particular injury at this point. Yeah, I, I mean, I guess just looking back to last season, this isn't on the level of his shoulder injury and that whole recovery. And yeah. At this time last year, we had no idea that uh, the Colts were going to be able to not only have him on the field the whole time, but become one of the better teams in the second half of the season uh, as he kind of shook the dust off. But yeah, it's again. I, he turns thirty this year. He's his injury history, whether it be his shoulder or anything else, is has added up. And as we're going to eventually talk about the Colts and all the teams in the AFC with our big questions, but I think every part of this team is so uh, built so well that his health is the one thing that could kind of bring them down. And they have an amazing offensive line, so you know they they do a good job of passing on early downs to kind of set up shorter second and third downs, which doesn't allow teams to really gear up and pin their ears back and try to get to him. So he's staying on the field. It's more of just, you know, anytime an injury pops up with him, you're in the back of your head, you're like, hopefully it's just, you know, they're just being cautious and there's not actually uh, a problem there. Yeah. We'll see what happens. I, I, again, I don't think it's reason for anyone to be too concerned right now. The Colts don't seem to be concerned and it's not on the level of that shoulder injury and we'll probably see him ready to go and the Colts uh, at least for me and we'll talk more about him in a minute like you said once we get to our questions for all the AFC teams but uh, they they seem like the favorite right there in the AFC South to have a good chance uh, when you compare it to what they have to what everybody else has uh, they're gonna be in good shape I think and we wrap up the headlines uh, for this week's episode with a trade and uh, I feel like we should have some kind of fun sound effect 
when it comes to trades <laughs> because uh, they're always interesting. Um, and there was one – I don't – you know, Dylan, we'll talk about it. I don't think this Duke Johnson trade to the Texans is all that surprising. We knew that he kind of was not going to be with the Browns. It seemed like there was going to be a trade at some point. Uh, what I find fascinating, and which we'll mention more with the Texans as we go throughout the season, I'm sure, is you look at the reports as to this actual trade. The Browns are going to get a fourth-round pick out of this. It can become a third-round pick. Uh, that's uh, via Ian Rappaport. And he also mentioned in the reports on this trade was that it was completed by John Dorsey of the Browns and Texans head coach Bill O'Brien, which, of course, is because the Texans do not have a GM, which is a very bold strategy going into a new season but that's what they're going to work with um it's a very intriguing trade to me because unfortunately this may become a common theme but the lamar miller situation there um for anybody who's owned him in fantasy and yes i'm probably going to always throw things back to fantasy somehow some way uh, get used to it because it's probably going to happen a lot um lamar miller has been a very frustrating figure on fantasy teams throughout the years um but if you're just talking about the texans success at least having someone like duke johnson they'll be able to use more out of the backfield in the passing game i think that's at least a positive for them moving forward yeah i mean and also again when we get to the the questions the texans are one of the teams that bill o'brien really just likes to start with a couple runs or is all about establishing the run so i think for their sake it's nice to have uh, an option like duke johnson that kind of forces them to be like all right if he's on the field we can pass in early downs and that could help uh, deshaun stay on his feet a little bit i think the trade yeah the the fact that they don't have a gm still is kind (laughs) of crazy i mean we saw they they cut uh i think last week deonta foreman yeah uh, former third round pick just because, I mean, it was Bill O'Brien and him clearly weren't on the same page. And if you have a coach that's at an acting GM, I guess he can just kind of do whatever he wants instead of, you know, yeah. usually you'd have a GM and coach kind of figure out a solution and maybe try to get some value out of it. But nonetheless, I think Duke Johnson uh, has been kind of probably a little underrated and underused. Uh, we were looking at some of Warren Sharp's thoughts on Twitter about the trade. He noted that uh, Johnson ranked second in yards per play in the NFL last year at 5.8. He was number three in explosiveness and number seven in uh, his success rate stat among all running backs, which is phenomenal. And uh, a great pass catcher. He's incredibly durable, hasn't missed a game in the last four years. I think for what Houston does, having someone that can uh, catch the ball out of the backfield, Lamar Miller, not really your traditional kind of James White or uh, Alvin Kamara type where uh, you really feel like he's a threat out of the backfield taking balls from Deshaun. I think this will – help the Texans overall offense and hopefully act like if, if they use them properly that's the one big thing Bill O'Brien needs to kind of adjust in my opinion his coaching style to his players a bit more and to realize that if he wants to protect Deshaun with his uh kind of porous offensive line still they really need to get into shorter second and third down situations and not make Deshaun run away from everyone every single game it's just it's going to add up and over the course of the season we don't want to see another injury but it could happen yeah, and that's the case. And in case no one has, has figured this out, Dylan is the one with all the knowledge here. Like, he's got all the in-depth stats and all that, and, and you'll be able to get a lot more from him as we go along. But th- there's so many kind of dynamics that Dylan knows that, that I am still just kind of trying to put into my fantasy football team. Um, so uh, we'll have a lot of fun with that as we go along. So if I always throw things back to fantasy, if you want Duke Johnson, go pick him up. Uh, you'll be able to get him nicely in, in PPR leagues, and uh, I think he's going to be a nice addition. He's, he's someone, like you said, that will be able to uh, 
he'll be able to give them a nice little boost uh, in terms of how they they approach the passing game and, and you know with Bill O'Brien if they're all on the same page which that's always the question uh, we'll see what happens there with Texas moving forward but that will lead us into the meat of things here Dylan we are going to throw out one big question for all 16 teams in the AFC we'll do 16 in the NFC once we get to next week but we start with the AFC we're going to do these um, by the last year's record so we'll start with the worst we'll get to the best um, and that means, of course, we get to start with the Raiders. Uh, we've already <laughs> covered the, the frostbite in Oakland. Uh, now we're going to go to the offensive line. Uh, and, Dylan, here's the question. Can the Raiders overcome Tom Cable to protect Derek Carr going into this season? Yeah, so the inspiration for this question uh, was, I mean, Tom Cable's struggles with his offensive lines are noted pretty well. I'm just going to read off kind of <laughs> some stats on him. Going back to 2016 when the Falcons made the Super Bowl, they still finished 31st in pass protection under Cable. Uh, His Raider offensive lines from 2007 to 2010 finished 26 or worse every single year. Uh, When he went to Seattle, the Seahawks offensive line was 14th in pass protection, and his years there, they went 24th, 20th, 32nd, 24th, 30th, 25th, and 25th. Last year... Uh, in Oakland, his first year back, they went 25th in pass protection. Uh, the previous four seasons before that, the Raiders finished third, fourth, first, and seventh in pass protection. Now, that's partially based on guys they've lost and uh, some of the pieces of their offensive line aging out. But there is a trend uh, with <laughs> Tom Cable. I don't I don't know how. I mean, I guess he's well-connected and he has been in the league for a long time. But when you just look at the sheer numbers, it is kind of hard to fathom. Like, it, even with a offensive line that's not great you can figure out a way to not rank in the bottom quarter of the league every single year it's it's just kind of staggering and then I think you added here that Gabe Jackson was carted off the field in practice uh, today so uh, it's (laughs) as much as I want to be excited about some of the pieces Oakland has with you know drafting Josh Jacobs and then obviously Antonio Brown we've already covered that they signed Tyrell Williams from the Chargers so they got a lot of fun pieces at uh, skill positions uh but if they can't protect Derek Carr he's really struggled with pressure and that's my one big concern even if their defense takes a leap even if the skill position players are great if they can't protect Carr uh if they can't really uh help you know when they need the run on third and short and stuff like that just picking up those short yards yards plays that's going to be a big issue they already I believe play the toughest schedule in the uh whole entire NFL, which is kind of in part because they have to face the Chargers and Chiefs twice each. Um, Denver's second <laughs> toughest schedule, so there you go. But, yeah, just, just concerned. I, I don't yeah. know. What, I, if Tom Cable's there beyond this year, I, I, I'll only be surprised, or not surprised, I guess, because John Gruden kind of gets to do whatever he wants. Well, that's the key to everything. Cause if you're going to get Antonio Brown, it's like, well, you you got to – Derek Carr's got to be able to pass it to him. And, you know, you got to be able to protect him and give him that opportunity to do so. But, yeah, we, we were recording this right before we recorded. I think that I saw the tweet from – it was either Schefter or Rappaport uh, talking about Gabe Jackson being carted off the field, which, you know, we at this point we have no idea the extent of the injury. But um, that's, that's not a, a positive when we talk about the offensive line and what they're going to be able to do there uh, and whether they can kind of take a step forward. 
there under Tom Cable. So Dylan noted uh, Tom Cable hater. We're gonna we're gonna make that the, <laughs> we're gonna make that the label on the intro every week. Now we're just gonna we're gonna make that along with your your position at Clutch Points. We're going to add that uh, in there as well. So um, all right, we'll move on to the next team, which is the Jets, who were also four and twelve on the season last year. Uh, the question for the Jets is: Will Sam Darnold make a major leap in year two? I'll start this one off because. I really think it's about the additions, which I know we'll discuss, of getting Le'Veon Bell. But it's also about the schedule to me because their first part of their schedule is not exactly easy. And I think that's where we'll learn a lot about Sam Darnold in these first six games for the Jets. They open up week one against the Bills at home. Uh, Week two, they're against the Browns at home. That's on Monday Night Football. Week three at the Patriots, they get a bye in week four. Week five, they're at the Eagles. Week six, they're at home against the Cowboys. And then week seven, they're at home against the Patriots on Monday Night Football as well. So, I mean, to me, Dylan, that's that's a pretty tough stretch to, to open up with because, you know, we know how much better the Browns are going to be. I think the Bills are still going to be one of those stingy type of teams you don't really want look forward to facing. Uh, you've got road games in there against the Patriots and Eagles. Cowboys and Patriots, who I, for a lot of people are, are potentially teams that, who could meet in the Super Bowl. That's a tough stretch there to start things off, and, and that could tell us a lot about Darnold and the Jets. Yeah, if, if they're going to find a way to be in the playoff conversation at the end of the season, I think they got to go at least, this isn't saying much, but two and four maybe over right. the stretch. Yep. Um, it, they got to beat Buffalo week one. That And that's a who knows what's going to happen there. Like, we're say, like you're saying with the Bills, they're not going to be easy. The Browns are much tougher. Maybe they can steal one of the games against the Patriots. We've seen them do that a few times, but I think the last time was when Fitzpatrick was still slinging it around in the backfield. So, yeah, I mean, Darnold, uh, if he can if he can weather this storm, though, and find a way maybe to get a little revenge on Baker Mayfield and the Browns for what they were able to do on that uh, his first game last year in Thursday Night Football, coming in for Tyrod Taylor and uh, beating the Jets with a pretty great comeback. Get a little revenge there, start 2-0. Now you're feeling good. Maybe you find a way to win one of those two games against the top teams in the NFC East. It's a tough stretch, but their schedule does ease up quite a bit after that. If they can just weather that storm, another team that they've overspent maybe on guys like C.J. Mosley, but still, again, a great player. So uh, Le'Veon Bell, you could argue that as well. They have pieces, and if Darnold – I think the biggest question, though, is if Darnold can kind of make a leap like we've seen with – with uh, guys like Jared Goff in year two, obviously he went from Jeff Fisher to Sean McVay, so that's a little different. We'll see what how he fits in with Adam Gase's offense. Um, but Adam Gase, I, for, for all the criticism about him, there were times when Ryan Tannehill was healthy where that Dolphins offense somehow was pretty good. Um, if people kind of forget in the 2016 season, so I, I'm I'm interested to see them. It's funny the two of the, the two teams that finished with the worst records in the AFC last year are two teams. I'm like. I can't wait to watch. It's, I mean, that's just how excited I am for the whole season. But uh, yep. it's going to be, it should be interesting. And if they can just, if they can just find a way through those first seven weeks, um, and not be Owens six or, uh, oh, or one and five, uh, you know, they might be okay. Well, and his receiving core too, I, I think, is just as important because. I mean, you know, Robbie Anderson, we know what he can do, but, you know, Jamison Crowder's there, Quincy Anunia was there. Uh, there's there's a lot of interesting pieces in that receiving core, but it's how all those guys maybe break out too, and, and maybe there's less pressure with adding Le'Veon Bell. Maybe things become a little bit easier. 
on the outside for them. We'll see what happens there on that front for the Jets. Next up, the Jags, who certainly had a disappointing 2018 season. And the question for them is, uh, will the defense regain its dominant form after faltering in 2018? Uh, Jalen Ramsey, for now, still there. Um, I think it's kind of funny to, to see his antics continue. And I think I saw somewhere, maybe we saw this earlier in the week somewhere, that he had said on a podcast maybe that he would like to play for the Titans or the Raiders or that's that's what you love to see from your your defensive leader I guess heading into the first week of the preseason yeah I mean last season even though they only fell off from second to fifth I think in total defense total defense doesn't obviously tell the complete story and yes the offense kind of put them in bad situations not really doing any favors by hardly being able to move the ball um but I think the striking thing was in when the Jags almost made the Super Bowl a couple years ago, you didn't really ever see them get lit up. They, they had the one playoff game that they won against the Steelers where it was kind of a uh, almost a basketball score by the end. But again, that AFC title game against the Patriots, they held them, I believe, the 10 points until the fourth quarter, had the one Miles Jack strip where if, they, if the refs call it correctly, he, instead of just ruling him down, he's running down the sideline with the ball for a touchdown that probably ends that game. That defense was incredible, and over the last stretch of the year, you never felt comfortable facing them. It was kind of like what the Ravens did this year over the last six weeks or so. Uh, but then this season, there were you early in the year, they played the Chiefs and the Cowboys, and they gave up 30 and 40 points in back-to-back games, uh, gave up 29 to the Colts a little bit uh, later, or sorry, earlier in the season. Later in the year, they did have a great game against the Colts and a few dominant performances against poor offenses, but that kind of skewed their total defense, making it appear to be better than, you know, not falling off as much as it really did. I think it was kind of capitalized when they had fallen out of the playoff picture. They played the Titans and Derrick Henry looked like he was going to break the record for most rushing yards in a game in NFL history for a while. He was well over 200 yards, uh, I think, uh, like at the end of the third quarter. So, yeah, you you just didn't, you kind of saw them quit. It felt like at the end of the year, and for a team as talented as they are, you hope that they come together. And you know, maybe with Nick Foles there and some of the things they can do on offense, hopefully that will balance it out and allow the defense to actually have a chance to regain its breath after getting some stops. Uh, there's so many great offenses that they're going to face, especially in their division. So, uh, yeah, if the defense can you know, come together, put aside all the drama that kind of came about last year, put aside the Jalen Ramsey stuff. I think, I don't think, I don't doubt that Jalen Ramsey is going to have a great year, but how he, his uh, mentality impacts his teammates is a different factor. So yep. yeah, it, another team that people, <laughs> half, the, half the people you'll hear talk about the AFC, they'll say the Jags are still a mess. Another half might say, you know, they're, they could make the playoffs again. So yep. we will see. I think Eric Ebron of the Colts, when he was asked about the uh, Indianapolis's chances of, repeating as or, or making it back to the playoffs and then possibly winning the south he only mentioned the jags as a threat he didn't even mention the <laughs> titans and texans which is hilarious but yeah they have the pieces um to see if it all comes together well i think it's i think it's fun that we're transitioning from the jags and answering that question to the bills because they certainly had uh one of the most memorable games of the season last year because of the uh the fight i guess that spilled into uh the sideline and all that that was a lot of fun that was the one that uh leonard fournette i think was a part of i can't remember the full situation when you when you watch so much red zone everything kind of runs together but um it was certainly a memorable game but we are talking about the bills now and the question for them uh we kind of touched on a little bit earlier but you know can josh allen build on his success from the end of the 2018 season i'll say this before i turn it to you is i mean hey if you're a fantasy football fan 
Josh Allen was kind of one of those guys that maybe you were able to, to lean on towards the end of the last season and going into the playoffs for you because he was just a beast because of what he can do through the air, on the ground. That makes him a very versatile player, makes him a very valuable player if you're a fantasy person. Um, I don't know, Dylan. I just you look at the Bills. They are. They're one of those teams that is really hard to get a read on, but I also mm-hmm. think they're one of those teams that – if I'm playing against them, it's really hard to prepare for the Bills because you don't exactly know what you're going to get sometimes. Yeah, and like you're mentioning uh, over with Josh Allen kind of as a fantasy star over the last few weeks, he averaged 26 fantasy points over the final six games of the year, right when it really matters for those fantasy playoffs. And a lot of that was because of his legs, and that goes into what you're saying in terms of not being able to prepare. You can do everything right um, and have everyone covered, and Josh Allen's, not the, we know, not the most accurate passer, but he can kind of scramble at a, in a Cam Newton-esque fashion, uh, was averaging quite a few rushing yards per game down that stretch. That's why those fantasy points are as high as they are. Um, and he, I, I forgot exactly who dropped it, but he had another touchdown that would have beaten the Dolphins in week 15 or 16 that got dropped in the end zone. So he could have even had better numbers, really. Uh, so they've – Buffalo, I, you know, with Josh Allen, it's really – if he can continue running like that, I'm more – They've done a good job at um, improving their offensive line really on the fly with kind of guys that other teams are overlooking or, you know, not necessarily going to give a second chance to. And they've kind of plugged in some holes. They've added, as you mentioned here, Cole Beasley and John Brown. Uh, They got Zay Jones. Uh, Over the final eight weeks of the season, Robert Foster averaged 14 yards per target, which is second only to Tyler Tyler Lockett in the entire NFL. So they've had some interesting uh, success with some of these guys. Cole Beasley will – be a little safety net hopefully for Allen over the middle out of the slot John Brown can help him utilize his giant arms so I it's again it's hard to get a read like you're saying because I you could see them I could see I could see the Bills going three and 13 or 10 and six like right yep that's, <laughs> that's go, the range go either way yeah and look you have you have the elder statesman at, at running back now so uh you've certainly got a lot of experience there when you talk about their running back group so maybe uh we'll see what happens and how that unfolds there but yeah they, they've got a lot of intrigued pieces to me i mean i i don't know they're they were a team you saw you know they got better they only had six wins but i think they got a lot better and if they can carry that momentum over uh, they could kind of be a surprise maybe as one of those teams going into this season. Another team that could be a surprise, which maybe we don't know exactly what to expect from this team, is the Bengals, who uh, have a new head coach, and that is the question. Can Zach Taylor be Sean McVay 2.0? Uh, my response to that is it won't be this year if he is Sean McVay 2.0 because I, I just I don't know. There's a lot of question marks on that roster for me. There's the injury concerns, which we'll talk about with A.J. Green once we get to the fantasy part of the show later on. I just don't know. I mean, they have a lot of sort of situations on offense. You know, Joe Mixon is is kind of their guy, and elsewhere there are you know there are concerns with Andy Dalton. There are injury concerns with A.J. Green. Uh, injury concerns with Tyler Eifert. Uh, Tyler Boyd's back, but uh, I don't know what to expect from the Bengals. So my answer to that question would be a no because I just don't see them making maybe a ton of strides this year in his first season. But I think for you, Dylan, we, we've talked about this, it's probably more of a long-term situation in terms of how he's able to build uh, after Marvin Lewis was there just for so many years. Yeah, I think if you approach it as trying to recreate Sean McVay, which a lot of teams have – kind of tried to do the last two years after the Rams resurgence from four and 12 to 11 and five 
under him. And a lot of the other ones, I mean, that were one year in last year and are we're going to see a lot more this year with Matt LaFleur being a head coach for the Packers. Uh, the one thing I think that some of the GMs or owners forget about Sean or don't maybe overlook about what Sean McVay did with the Rams wasn't just a scheme. That's that's what most people talk about. But his the culture he built there, driving people to want to be more successful, expecting the best out of his best players to really lead by example for everyone else, building on the fringes with guys adjusting his scheme to his players, helping Jared Goff be protected simply by throwing on earlier downs. Again, like we've kind of talked about uh, earlier with Frank Reich and the Colts. So uh, to, expect, to expect Zach Taylor to be Sean McVay 2.0 is completely unrealistic. I, I put the question here just because that's what <laughs> the we Bengals We just want to make that him. clear to everyone. Yes, we want to make this clear. Like, let's please not go into this season thinking that the Bengals are going to all of a sudden win 15 games and be like, it's just it's not going to happen this season. Nothing against the Bengals, but let's please not put that pressure on this man just yet. <laughs> Yeah, so if they if they stay healthy, maybe they can make a run. I, I don't know at, at a at a wild card berth, but that's probably their ceiling this year. And even then, I'd see it more of a kind of installation year, kind of like you said. This is the long play. It's not really about this season. Yeah, and, and we'll get into that more. But I mean, I, I don't think you look at it on paper. I don't think there's any doubt in my mind, at least, just by looking at things on paper. They're the fourth best team in that division. Um, when you compare them to the Steelers, the Ravens, and the Browns. I mean, w- would you agree with that? Because I just – I don't see them making up enough ground to get past any of those three teams, just in my opinion. No, absolutely. I think that's the tough part. They had a window um, maybe like four years ago when they lost to the Steelers in the first round after Andy Dalton yeah. got hurt. They had this window where it was like this is their time. All the pieces were kind of younger. I mean, Andy Dalton's not the perfect quarterback, but he could succeed in the right situation. And, you know, health kind of bit them. So just, uh, you know, things that were really out of their control. Some of the stuff with Burfick didn't really help on the defensive side. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, now with what the Browns have done, with where the Ravens are defensively retooling, we'll talk about that a bit. And then the Steelers, it's hard to argue that the Bengals aren't the worst team in the AFC North. Yeah, so if you're a Bengals fan, mark on your calendar, uh, put it in your notepad around the 40-minute mark of the Establish the Past podcast. Uh, That is where we said the Bengals would not be able to do anything this season, so you can revisit that uh, later in the year, depending on where things stand for them then. Uh, Next up, the Broncos. Uh, And for the Broncos, the question is uh, a quarterback situation. As we know, they have a new quarterback, and it's can Joe Flacco do enough to keep Denver in the playoff picture, Dylan? Yeah, so last season, Denver kind of hung around until the last few weeks, and I think people were maybe a little surprised um, given the expectations going in the, into the year. I mean, Case Keenum had a great year the, uh, in 2017 with Minnesota, and he kind of was able to help uh, some of their sack rates uh, completely improved from the previous season where they had Trevor Simeon and Brock Osweiler just standing like rocks in the pocket, just getting drilled. Uh, Case Kingdom was able to kind of escape and make things work. Their rushing game really took a turn, um, got a lot more productive. So they had, they did some good things, and then they added Joe Flacco. And does that really solve their problems? And I, I'm not sure about that. Uh, he's one of the worst QBs in the NFL with pressure up the middle. Uh, that's a concern right now with Paradis gone, Leary recovering from a torn ACL. Uh, one of their guards, McGovern, was ranked 87th out of 88 uh, qualified guards in pass blocking per uh, Warren Sharp. So that's not great, <laughs> considering that <laughs> Flacco, when he's at his best, is when the interior of the line, he can deal with guys coming around the edges and b- brushing them off, stepping up in the pocket. He really needs the interior of the line to do their job for him to be su- su- successful. Um, and 
they've also brought him in to kind of help ex- stretch the field with some of their faster guys like Emmanuel Sanders. But over the last uh, last season, he finished 32nd out of 33 qualified QBs in deep ball efficiency, um, and despite facing the fourth least pressure of qualifying QBs. So <laughs> even then, he didn't uh, play very well. I mean, the Ravens really took off, obviously, after Lamar Jackson took over, and they completely changed their whole scheme. So I I would argue that no, that Joe Flacco cannot do enough <laughs> to keep Denver in the playoff picture, um, not necessarily because the team itself around him isn't pretty solid, but... I think there's just too many teams, maybe not as maybe not as deep as the NFC, but I think the AFC still has enough teams that are, you can argue can make a playoff can make the playoffs. We've already talked about a few that finished with worse records last year, so I, I just I, I don't have confidence with Joe Flacco at this point in his career with the situation he's in to really be the difference maker for the Broncos. Well, he's got to keep his wide receivers from from fighting each other. And we know that. I mean, they're they're on the same page now. But uh, everybody, we all we like to make a big deal out of the uh, the training camp fights, which we saw with uh, Manuel Sanders and Corlin Sutton this week. Uh, everything's fine now. But you know, you don't like to see that. I think if you're Joe Flacco, he was joking about it too uh, when he was talking about getting into fights. And he said Flacco said he never he's never gotten into a fight in a football uniform in his life. He usually tries to run away from it. Um, so that's probably a good idea moving forward for them. So be interesting to see how things uh, unfold there for the Broncos there in Flacco's first season in Denver. Next up, the Miami Dolphins. And the question for the Dolphins, which they have a lot of changes, uh, can Miami <laughs> – this is Dylan's great question here. Can Miami properly tank with Ryan Fitzpatrick trying to will them to wins? Um, my my response to this is we talk about playoff teams and all that. When you look at the Dolphins, here you go, Dolphins fans, around the 45-minute mark of the podcast, they, to me, are one of the few teams that seems to just kind of have no chance of making the playoffs. I feel like there's too many things they have to overcome uh, in, in this season just from several different spots. Uh, who knows because they do have Ryan Fitzpatrick and we've seen what this guy can do before who the heck knows uh, with him at the helm yeah I, I, my kind of yeah the question was obviously inspired by the Fitz magic kind of like <laughs> memes that we get last year where he's going off for however many like they I think week one they blew out the Saints and it was like no one saw that coming he continued 6,000 fantasy points yeah. <laughs> yeah he was putting on he was just on a tear to start the year they lost maybe one tough game, I think, to Pittsburgh, and from there it kind of fell apart. But it feels like every year, I mean, we saw Ryan Fitzpatrick almost bring the Jets to the playoffs a few years ago. He always finds a way to win a few games, and Miami is so clearly with some of the moves they've made in a, in a rebuilding year. They're just trying to look to the future. Now, it might be okay if Fitzpatrick does win some games because they have obviously traded for Josh Rosen, and if they think he's going to be their quarterback of the future – I'm not sure how much this really matters too much if they have, say, the number one pick versus the number five or six pick because th- at that point, if they're going to really stick with Rosen and believe he's their guy, they're not going to tank for Tua. They're not going to, you know, two years from now, be trying to get Trevor Lawrence from Clemson. So does it really matter? I mean, it, it could impact their draft stock a bit, but it really, I think this year, apart from tanking properly, they also want Josh Rosen to not be in the situation he was in last year where – it just seemed like he was under a barrage of pressure every single time he stepped on the field for the Cardinals. Um, and I don't see why that wouldn't be the case again with Miami's offensive line and the state it's in. So, uh, yeah, we'll see. I mean, I guess we'll just see if what Fitzmagic can do one more year maybe of that, <laughs> and then maybe the Dolphins move on and try to actually do something in 2020. 
Yeah, shout out to all the Alabama Crimson Tide fans out there. We're going to probably have to mention Tua a lot this year because he's going to be um, someone we're going to have to talk about heading into the draft, and uh, he is he's certainly going to be a very intriguing uh, candidate there for one of these uh, jobs in the NFL. And, and, yeah, you look at the Dolphins, I, that, there's just a lot for them to overcome this year. Uh, we'll see, but uh, it does seem like they're a team that's going to be kind of uh, fighting an uphill battle in terms of uh, comparing them to all these other teams. So uh, next up, and this would especially be one of those teams you compare them to because this could very well be one of the most improved teams in the NFL. That is, of course, the Cleveland Browns. And the question is very simple. Can the Cleveland Browns live up to the hype? And yes, hype. And the Cleveland Browns, same sentence. We haven't been able to do that in a while without, I guess, making it as a joke. But it's serious this time. Uh, to me, they have it all on offense. Uh, they, they do. They, they have it all, it seems like, from an offensive standpoint. Um, but, you know, it's all going to come down to probably how everything meshes together from a chemistry standpoint. Uh, and as you noted, uh, Dylan, I think, you know, looking at Nick Chubb's health, then are they going to be able to kind of ride him the way they want to, especially now with Duke Johnson out of the mix, Kareem Hunt's there. As we know, we don't know what's going to happen with that situation. Yeah, my expectation uh... – from the beginning of the Duke Johnson trade rumors and uh, being coinciding with uh, Cleveland signing Kareem Hunt, I just thought they'd play those eight weeks, and then once Kareem, or eight games, I guess through week nine, Kareem Hunt would come back, and then at that point, it's close to the trade deadline. That's when they would make that move, uh, just because now I, they, they can they still have some decent guys behind Nick Chubb, but they might. I mean, they are going to probably be passing more this year, you'd think. But Chubb was one of the most efficient and just better running backs in the entire uh, NFL last year as a rookie, which was phenomenal. I mean, uh, he still got uh, some credit despite what Saquon did uh, among the rookies. But, yeah, it's hard to see. Like, there's so much hype. And uh, even in L.A., people in Browns, like, shirts, whatever, will see each other and start doing the dog, like, hoo, hoo, hoo. (laughs) And it's like like the new America's team, I feel like. Everyone's kind of actually on board for this. Like, there's not a ton of people that – are going to be upset if the Browns succeed. Um, I it's and they're uh, also their defense. We should give credit to they're you know probably on the top third of the league as well. Uh, it should be even better this season with some of the additions they've made. Miles Garrett still looks like an absolute monster. Uh, their secondaries, if they stay healthy, is pretty one of the more complete secondaries in the AFC. So if they, I it, it's it's crazy to say, but if the Browns don't make the playoffs, I will be disappointed. <laughs> yeah. I, I agree. No, I think that's they have to make the playoffs. And, uh, you know, people can say, oh, well, the ex- no, no, that's the expectation. Everybody they brought in, everybody that's there, the playoffs are the goal. Um, and, and it's probably not just making the playoffs. It's probably winning games in the playoffs. That's where they feel like they can get to. Uh, fantasy alert, as I said, I'm always going to bring it back to this. David Njoku, uh, he was very frustrating at times last year, but with uh, Odell Beckham there now, it's going to take a lot of pressure off. He's going to have to be someone – uh, they're probably going to look to, I think, a lot, um, and maybe he could have a breakout season. Uh, I don't know, but they, he's got Baker Mayfield's got a lot of options, and that's a good problem to have uh, when you talk about their offense. So um, we'll see what happens there with the Browns. Next up, the Titans, and uh, for me, a uh, local guy here to the Titans, um, it's going to be the same question it has been for seemingly forever now, and that is: Will Marcus Mariota prove that he is the franchise quarterback for the Titans? I mean, you know, Dylan, for me, like I said, it's it's all about just kind of seeing whether that consistency is there. He hasn't been consistent. He's been injured. 
Um, to me, their receiving core is at least as good as it's been in a while, maybe, just from top to bottom. Um, Corey Davis, we all know the potential there with him. Delaney Walker's back from injury. They got Adam Humphreys, who was such a, a crucial part to, to the Bucks last year, their passing game. I mean, there's a lot to like, I guess, from, from really both sides. Um, their schedule starts off really well through the first 10 weeks. They only played three teams with a winning record last season. But it does get a lot tougher towards the end of the year. So that's where if the Titans are going to make the playoffs, have a chance to maybe win the AFC South, they've got to have consistency early from Mariota, and they're definitely going to have to have it late in the season when that schedule gets a lot tougher. Yeah, I mean, early, maybe not for you in Nashville, but it seems like every year on a national kind of basis, the Titans, everyone just kind of looks at them in the middle of the season and says to themselves, wait, they're 6-3 and three, or they're 7-2, and two, and they're just, <laughs> yeah. kind of, just kind of under the radar just winning games. Um, yeah, Mark, in terms of the question, it, yeah, it's the last year of his contract. You know, I think it's kind of a tipping point. If Tennessee gets to the playoffs and he has a great year, then perhaps he gets an extension. I don't know what that exactly would look like, but he's not going to be paid on the, the top 10 of the uh, yeah. NFL in terms of quarterbacks, which is, you know, not necessarily the worst thing in the world. Um, I think the one big thing this year, getting, as again, like I talked briefly about Tannehill and what he did uh, when he was healthy with Adam Gase three years ago. Who knows what that looks like this year. But being able to have him as a backup compared to some of the guys Tennessee has ran out when Mariota inevitably gets hurt, it seems like, every year for a few games. Having him there to kind of maintain order and hopefully just, you know, right the ship, keep it flowing, I think that can be a difference maker uh, if Marcus does get hurt. Hopefully, you know, like all the weapons you're saying and some of the things they can do running the ball with Derrick Henry being when he's healthy and when he's on one of the more frightening running backs to probably tackle in the NFL. Uh, they, they definitely could do some things. And again, with their uh, kind of easier schedule at the beginning, uh, like you said, only playing three teams with winning records last year. There's no reason that they can't, you know, be in the conversation down the stretch. Now, yeah, like you mentioned, again, the last seven games they play the Chiefs. The Colts are in there, the Saints, they play the Texans twice, uh, the Jaguars, who could be much improved. So they got some, they're going to have a tougher road at that point. But if they're in the conversation, uh, yeah, I mean, not, they went 9-7 and seven last year. And again, another team that just, if if Mariota is healthy for week 17 in that Colts game, that was basically a play-in game, it might have been a different outcome. Yeah, they're, they're one of the most fascinating teams, and not just for me locally, like I said. I think it's just because... You look at what the potential is for a team like that. They do have a wide receiver group. Maybe they're going to be able to rely on if they can keep everybody healthy. But it is all about keeping the quarterback healthy and getting Mariota uh, to play more consistently. That's what it's going to come down to. Um, and it's funny because there are Titans fans. There's there's like a 50-50 split. Some people think that you know he should kind of be given a pass for some of the things that he gets knocked for. Others want him out of town. It's just I guess that's the way it is when it comes to a team that's kind of really just sort of been average in terms of uh, what they've been able to accomplish. But uh, very very big season for Mariota, that's for sure. Uh, next up, the Steelers, which uh, as we know is going to be about uh, the situation at wide receiver. And the question is, will Juju Smith Schuster? remain elite without Antonio Brown opposite of him you know Dylan my my remark to this is is probably it's going to be just as important for for Big Ben when it comes to consistency because I mean hey uh, we often forget maybe sometimes that he is getting older and the playing style that he's played with where he's had to scramble and does a lot of things where he's taken hits throughout the years you know eventually that can catch up with you and I think that's going to be very important uh, as well when we talk about not only just losing Antonio Brown but also you know what do exactly do we see from Big Ben that could be just as important 
Yeah, I mean, especially last year, uh, them missing the playoffs was a pretty big shock, but it wasn't necessarily some of the games down the stretch of the year that cost them. It was they lost at Oakland. They, they lost a few games that where Roethlisberger, like you're saying, just didn't look like the guy that we're kind of used to. And as he gets older, his body's taking a lot of hits. They lost a tough game in Denver where he threw a pick in the end zone right at the end. So games where they had it, they had it in the bag, and even this, they played the Saints super tough at the end of the year, and he played incredibly well in that game. So you, you see both sides. It, yeah, him staying consistent, like you're, if Juju can, you know, now no longer being uh, singled up nearly as often with AB doubled on the other side, he can still be in, uh, incredibly good, still do his thing. And I think I think Juju's capable of being a number one receiver, absolutely. But it, it doesn't matter if Big Ben can't get him the ball, can't provide those deep shots down the field consistently. I tend to, to be a little more positive than maybe some people on the Steelers, I, I, although even now that sentiment might be growing. I, I think they still have such a great infrastructure overall as a team that, again, like they should be disappointed if they don't make the playoffs. It feels like we're going to say that about nine teams yeah. in the AFC. <laughs> but, um, yeah, uh, I think Juju, to answer just the question, though, I think he will remain elite. But will his numbers be elite? Um, that does depend you know, in part on what Big Ben can do. Yeah, you'll see fantasy situations in your drafts and, and different things. I think you'll see a lot of a lot of interesting kind of scenarios with Juju in terms of where he's picked and maybe people are having that that concern. And uh, it's it's going to be fascinating to see maybe kind of where he winds up at the end of the year fantasy-wise too because uh, he's he was someone last season, as we know, who just became such an asset for anyone that had him. And uh, it's going to be uh, another situation this year where, like we said, without Antonio Brown – how things play out there, uh, that will determine kind of where the Steelers go and how far they can go if they can make it to the playoffs uh, next season. So the Colts, uh, we mentioned this earlier, and maybe we won't touch on it as much since we did go into it quite a bit, but the question is simple, and it goes back to what we talked about earlier, is can Andrew Luck stay healthy throughout the season? We mentioned the, the injury concerns, not a huge deal right now, it seems like. Um, but when you look at the rest of the team, that's probably going to be what you look at with the Colts, uh, but certainly no matter what they've done elsewhere, you know, Justin Houston's there now on the defense. Uh, you look at the, the weapons, you know, Devin Funches is there on the offense too. There's there's lots of different pieces they've added, um, but it is all going to always come back to Andrew Luck here. Yeah, on, on, the, uh, on the offensive side with so many weapons and like you're talking about their offensive line and all the other pieces, I, I personally am just so confident in every facet of their team. I think their pass rush was the only thing that – I was a little concerned with. They got Justin Houston. If he stays healthy, that will help there. But even then, their secondary is solid. They've just the last two drafts. You'd have to say Chris Ballard's probably one of had two of the better drafts, if not the best, each year. Um, especially with guys like Quentin Nelson, who I was furious when I realized he wasn't on the NFL top 100 <laughs> list. I was completely flabbergasted. And then you have Darius Leonard on defense leading them. So they are set, in my opinion, kind of across the roster. So. Like when I think about the Colts, that's why I thought just Andrew Luck, the question again, because if he does stay healthy, I don't see why they don't win the South and possibly, you know, compete with the Chargers slash Chiefs, whoever wins that division, and then the Pats to uh, get a bye. I, I see the Colts as a Super Bowl contender, absolutely. Yeah, well, they're, I mean, listen, they, they've got the chance, and I think with the division, we've mentioned the other teams, and, you know, we'll talk about the Texans here in a second, but there's just, I mean, look, it's a, it's a very winnable division because there's a lot of unknowns for some of these other teams. Uh, they they seem to have kind of what you need to get back to the playoffs, win some games, uh, as long as Andrew Luck is healthy, and that's what will determine everything. Um, speaking of quarterbacks, we go to the Ravens next, 
And the question, again, it has to do with the quarterback. That's how will the Ravens respond to teams having a season of Lamar Jackson offense on tape? And, you know, we look at this week, and this is probably nothing unusual from teammates. You're going to hear everybody say this as you go throughout training camp. Uh, you know, Gus Edwards said this week that people will be surprised at how improved the passing attack is. Uh, you've heard other people kind of, you know, repeat that sentiment in terms of how much better it's getting uh, in terms of just the passing attack. But, hey, it is the year of the running quarterback, which depending on who you ask, uh, it, it's that era we're in. We talked about Josh Allen, all these other guys. Uh, we'll talk about Mahomes in a minute. Guys who can do it with their feet, too, and we know what Lamar Jackson can do there. Uh, it's going to be very fascinating to, to see how the Ravens approach certain situations, knowing that teams are going to, you know, they've certainly have been able to well scout what Lamar Jackson's strengths are, what his weaknesses are, and whether he's going to be able to prove in those areas and kind of help the Ravens have a shot at getting to a Super Bowl this year. Yeah, it wasn't really until the Chargers in the playoffs. They, they played in each other in Week 16. Baltimore only scored 22 points, but still won that. I mean, I say only, but it's not bad, but nothing crazy. <laughs> they still won that game, and it kind of secured them almost a chance, or secured a chance to uh, clinch a playoff spot in Week 17. But the Chargers had the benefit of watching tape on the Ravens for four to five weeks with Lamar Jackson. They play that game, have that tape. Two weeks later, they play in the wild card round, and until the fourth quarter, where Lamar Jackson went nuts trying to lead a comeback, the Chargers completely shut down Baltimore. They were using six to seven defensive backs with Derwin James kind of playing a hybrid between a safety and a linebacker in the middle of the field. And Baltimore, they really didn't adjust until later in the game. And when they did, it was them passing the ball a lot more because they had to. And it almost uh, gave them a blueprint for their own adjustment now, seeing, you know, letting the letting the uh, training wheels off Lamar throwing the ball. I think they don't they can implement what they did successfully running with Gus Edwards, uh, Lamar Jackson, uh, Coach Harbaugh said you can bet the over on him breaking Cam Newton's uh, record for carries in a season, but that might have been kind of his way of setting up coaches to think that they're really <laughs> going to be running the ball a ton when they're going to come out week one with a bunch of different passing plays. So, they, yeah, they add Marquise Brown. I think if him being able to stretch the field will kind of, you know, hopefully free up some of these uh, running plays they want to do. If Willie Sneed can stay healthy, yeah, uh, Baltimore, I think they did a good job on just real quick on the other side of the ball. Of, they lost some uh, guys like Terrell Suggs and Zadarius Smith that were key parts of that team, but they, you know, they fit, plugged in those holes. They obviously uh, replaced Eric Weddle with Earl Thomas, so I'm not too worried about what the defense is going to look like. And I think if Lamar Jackson can, you know, prove, you know, that what what he did at the end of that wild card game was who he is in terms of throwing the ball. Uh, Baltimore has no reason they can't be there with the Browns and Steelers uh, right in the uh, thick of the AFC North race come week 17. Yeah, I don't think you're going to see the Ravens take a step back. If anything, they're going to have an opportunity to take a step forward, and and it is. It's about how that offense evolves and and what they're able to do game plan-wise, knowing that the teams have a a lot more tape and and kind of are going to at least have something in mind when it comes to preparing for Lamar Jackson under center. Um, next up, the Texans. We sort of mentioned them a little bit earlier when we talked about the trade. And, you know, we mentioned Duke Johnson and adding him in terms of how it does give them sort of, you know, more options when it comes to throwing the ball. Uh, you brought up Bill O'Brien and whether he's actually going to throw it to him, if they're going to be on the same page. Uh, and the question is, is easily, you know, can Deshaun Watson overcome one of the worst offensive lines in the NFL? People talked about that a lot last year. Uh, to me, I think even if the offensive line is improved, and, and we won't know until they get out there and start going, you know, in the regular season, 
Um, you know, have they improved enough to win a playoff game if the Texans get to the playoffs? To me, that's the biggest question because I don't know. I mean, have they improved to, to that point of being able to maybe get over that hump and have a shot at getting to an AFC title game? I, I don't know if they're there just yet. I think, uh, yeah, you'll notice, like, obviously the name of the podcast being established the past. I'm going to always <laughs> kind of go against guys like Bill O'Brien that try to really establish the run early on on early downs and it, what it happened kind of last year they were one of the uh, teams that fell behind and had a lot of third and longs and that's when you see Deshaun running around teams pin their ears back know they're going to get they can get to him against that offensive line especially so I think the way to alleviate him overcoming the, one of the worst offensive lines might not be necessarily the improvements to it but it just improved play calling you have conversely the Colts who everyone regards now as having one of the best offensive lines they threw the ball the fourth most on first and second downs of any team in the NFL and it led to them being the, having the second least third in uh, distance down on third down, having the least distance to go. So, uh, if if the Texans, you know, with Duke Johnson, hopefully or, or first second down, they'll do some little pass plays, try to just implement some more play action where, you know, the, the defense is going to stay a lot more honest on first and ten compared to third and eight. And I I think that's where. Uh, they can overcome one of the offense, worst offensive lines in the NFL the last uh, couple of years would be uh, not necessarily the improvements to the line itself, but just actually their actual game planning. And we'll see what Bill O'Brien's made of, I guess. <laughs> yeah, Lo- love Deshaun Watson. I mean, look, he's fantasy again. He's a, he's a fantasy lover's dream, I think, because of what he's able to accomplish. But it, it really is how they use him and how they use, uh, you know, Duke Johnson, how they're going to use things in terms of just that offense and we know what DeAndre Hopkins can do. There's there's so many different you know possibilities there when you talk about that duo from a, from a passing standpoint. But um, there are still some things that maybe are some question marks that, that could hold them back. Uh, but again, that's why we we talk about this. It's only on paper. We'll see what happens once they actually get out there in the regular season. Up next uh, is the Patriots. And um, there have been some changes there, and specifically uh, to one of Tom Brady's favorite areas. And the question is, will the Patriots receiving corps keep up with the rest of the roster? And Dylan, obviously, the, the biggest part of that is in terms of Gronk's uh, retirement, uh, which we can maybe we should just say retirement, quote unquote, retirement every now, uh, every time we use it from now on, because everybody's going to speculate until the guy probably turns 50 uh, as to whether he's going to come back and play. So that's going to be something that's going to hang over there. But, you know, hey, they, they've got a really good offense. We know what Brady can do. Uh, they made a really good draft pick, and uh, that's going to give them some options, even with a, a maybe a different sort of receiving core than, than maybe they've had in recent years. Yeah, and I think uh, we've already seen kind of last year and over the last few years, uh, Belichick's kind of done something that Andy Reid did with the Eagles teams back in – uh, like the mid-early 2000s where they're throwing to running backs a ton. So when we think about the New England's receiving corps, right now obviously we think of Julian Edelman, and then we, after that it becomes a little more sketchy. We'll see how Kill Harry pans out. But they have a lot of guys that are – you're hearing great things about them in camp, but it's like really that's the guy that's going to be your number two receiver. That's going to be your number three. But we have to think about New England's passing receiving corps – uh, including their running backs. James White, PPR monster, if we're going to talk about fantasy. <laughs> yeah. uh, he had 108 receptions on 123 targets last year. 
Uh, they throw to him a ton on early downs, and they again when they get closer to the uh, end zone, they'll use him as a great uh, running option. Teams are expecting a pass, then at that point they'll hand it off, and he's really efficient there as well. Sony Michelle, his health is a question, but uh, there's a reports that they're working with him in the passing game. So I don't think we're going to see New England really uh, doing something like the Rams, for example, where they're running 11 with three receivers almost every single play. And those guys are going to be catching the majority of the passes, uh, save it for a few little swing passes and uh, things like that to Gurley and now Daryl Henderson. But, um, yeah, I I think every anytime I try to worry about something with New England, it, by the end of the season it ends up not <laughs> mattering. So I think Belichick's going to do what he always does, use the pieces he has. Maybe they'll add another receiver at some point. But I think the way he uses his running backs in the passing game already makes them uh, completely fine with their current roster. <laughs> Yeah, until until he gives me a reason to be concerned, I'm I'm just gonna always assume the Patriots are getting to the Super Bowl, um, and you know until it changes, until I get really concerned about their ability to make the playoffs and win games in the playoffs, we're just gonna assume they're gonna be able to answer these questions because they've just proven it so many years in a row that they find a way to to maybe address some of the concerns that we have in the preseason every year. Uh, and it seems that they they figure it out pretty well. So uh, another team that may have some concerns that were not necessarily foreseen, uh, but that's not necessarily this question. And uh, this question more pertains to their quarterback situation, uh, and that is uh, for the Chargers. Can Phillip Rivers maintain his excellence from the back half of the 2018 season? He just went on a tear, uh, had a great stretch run there just late in the year, and you know, for, for me, Dylan, I mean, look, it's you can't overlook the Melvin Gordon situation and maybe how that affects the answer in terms of what Phillip Rivers is going to be able to do. Uh, they've got Austin Eckler there. They've got Justin Jackson. Guys they could turn to if for some reason something happens with this Melvin Gordon thing. Could they potentially trade Melvin Gordon? I don't think we have any clue at this point. Um, but th- there's more unknowns maybe with this Chargers situation than we thought there would be here talking about it uh, in early August. Yeah, in terms of Melvin Gordon, I, I'm i not maybe as concerned as some with uh, his absence. I mean, he's a huge part of what they do. But I think in some of the games we saw without him, in particular, the uh, I think it was Week 15 Chiefs-Chargers was a classic game that came down to the Chargers going for two uh, down by a point with a few seconds left and getting it. And that game, Justin Jackson really stepped up. And I think... Yep he he's definitely a guy that kind of shows why running backs are you know a little bit not necessarily underpaid uh depends on who you ask but if you're asking running backs yes but it's because there's so many guys it feels like that can kind of fill in these roles and succeed and do what they need to do so it 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 hurts melvin gordon's uh stock when he's trying to get you know the kind of contract he's looking at um but i the way that the Chargers, in terms of the question for Philip Rivers maintaining his excellence, it's, it almost ties into Big Ben, two guys that came into the league at the same time, both aging but still performing really well. I mean, Rivers had his uh, average, his most yards per attempt since 2010 uh, last season, so he's, he definitely hasn't dropped off. If anything, he kind of got better. I think the one thing that's, uh, you know, I haven't really even been here in Los Angeles, maybe that's just because the Chargers are kind of, we still think they're in San Diego half the time, but... <laughs> No one's really talking too much from what I've seen about what Hunter Henry really can mean. Him and uh, and Rivers were incredible together, according to Warren Sharp's success rate stat, which is basically on first and second downs, you're at least getting four yards. Third or fourth down, you're converting if you go for it. Uh, when they go to Hunter Henry, he was 
second among all position players, so receivers, running backs, tight ends, in a success rate the last uh, two seasons that he played, 2016 and 17. So he and he's only 24 years old. He he just turned 24, which I didn't realize until I was preparing for this. So yeah, I think that add him to what Mike Williams has kind of developed into over the latter half of last year, Keenan Allen being Keenan Allen still, if he stays healthy. Uh, I don't. I think there's no reason Phillip Rivers can maintain his excellence to, no, despite uh, Gordon's possible absence. Yeah, we'll talk about the Chargers a lot, I think, when we talk about fantasy situations throughout the season. They're one of those teams where they've got so many options, it can be frustrating, I think, for fantasy owners because you don't ever know which receiver's maybe going to be that breakout guy each game. Because uh, they do have so many guys they can turn to, and now with Hunter Henry back, uh, there's just there's so many different ways that they could go with this. Uh, but it will come down to Philip Rivers and certainly getting Melvin Gordon back in the mix. And we wrap up our AFC questions with the Chiefs, and uh, it's going to be all about the defense. And the question is, will the defense take enough strides for the Chiefs to make it to the Super Bowl? Boy, that's uh, that, that's the question, Dylan. I mean, that's that's the million dollar question because that's going to be what determines what they're able to accomplish. Um, I don't anticipate Patrick Mahomes stepping back in any way, shape, or form. Um, he's that good. No concerns with the offense. Maybe uh, you look at what Damian Williams is going to be able to do in the backfield. Certainly, the Tyreek Hill situation has been talked about a lot, but it's ultimately going to come down to the defense. Yeah, I mean, considering last year, if the coin toss and overtime flips their way maybe they already do make it to the Super Bowl with the state of the defense last year Uh, the one thing they did have going for them that uh, was pretty strong and successful with how uh, incredible their offense is is they had a really good pass rush Uh, finished seventh in the league and sack differential for the team overall went from negative six to plus 27 Um, total defense still struggle though but that's mostly because their their run defense efficiency and it has been the last two years was the worst in the nfl the reason that's not a t- too big of a concern is often this team is ahead and the other teams are trying to come back they're gonna have to throw the ball more and it, it feeds into what uh kansas city wants to do with their edge rushers even though they lose d ford and justin houston just as a defense adding tyron matthew frank clark alex okafor mo claiborne emmanuel agba this team has made some great additions to the defense. Uh, you you added here, I think you'll probably touch on their new defensive coordinator, bringing that all together. But I think as long as the offense stays somewhat close to what we saw last year, there's no reason this team can't be in the AFC title game again, whether it be or at least you know playing a really tough playoff game in the divisional round against Indianapolis or New England. Yeah, adding Steve Spagnuolo, someone with all that experience, I mean, look, it's – They've got to be better, and and I think they will be better, and and that makes the Chiefs, you know, one of the most intriguing Super Bowl picks just because of Mahomes. I mean, we know he's going to have a chance to win the MVP again. Um, He's that good, and it's going to be whether that defense, like we said, that's the question is will the defense make enough strides there for them to make the Super Bowl. But, all right, that wraps up all of our questions for the AFC teams. Hope you made all your notes uh, that way. If any of our answers are wrong, you can come back, let us know. Uh, I'm sure some of you will, but that's okay. That's why we have fun with this. Um, all right, Dylan, let's wrap up with some uh, quick run-throughs of the Fantasy Corner, which, hey, that's my favorite part of everything because, uh, as we know, fantasy football is such a huge thing now. And for a lot of people, there's a lot of money on the line, and we will not be responsible for your winnings or uh, lost money, maybe more so for your winnings. You can give us credit, but 
Uh, if our advice uh, takes you in the wrong direction, just remember that you got it from someone else and not from us. Um, let's start with just some different things. We run through, we'll, we'll talk about just some different players each week, different situations. We mentioned the Bengals earlier. Let's start with A.J. Green's injury uh, because that's something that I think a lot of people have on their minds. Where in the world should I draft A.J. Green? Because you don't know because of the injury situation. Um, It's a very intriguing setup. Uh, I'm one of those that maybe is a little bit concerned, but I also think with Zach Taylor there now, they're clearly going to make him the focus of their offense um, and that's going to maybe still make things sort of iffy when it comes to A.J. Green on the fantasy level. Yeah, even though he had this injury, I think the same worry would have been there without it. Uh, I mean, last year he missed seven games. I had A.J. Green on my company team, and it was frustrating because he'd be in there, and <laughs> then he would be out, then he was out for a while down the stretch when he was trying to make a play, run at the playoffs. Uh, so even though he missed no games in 2016, or sorry, 2017, he did miss six in 2016, you just you just never know, and that that's why his ADP is uh, 45 for standard, I believe, and then 44. I think I just saw on, yeah. on a PPR. So, yeah, I mean, there's similar guys you can get uh, closer to him. Uh, you added these here. You have Robert yep. Woods, or right in that same range. Kenny Galladay, Julian Edelman, Chris Godwin, who I if we talk about him more, I think is a great steal at 50. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of pieces, and his teammate Tyler Boyd, Tyler Boyd at 56. I I tend to, at least on a personal level with fantasy, factor in injuries a little more, like guys with injury histories than maybe you need to. And it probably cost me with you know someone like Andrew Luck last year. So uh, you could hopefully he drops in your draft uh, far enough to where you you can kind of either stash him or not feel comfortable with uh, feeling like when he does get back on the field, whenever that is, uh, he can perform at his uh, usual levels. Yeah, there's, there's a lot of receivers. You mentioned the ones I, I put on our notes. Robert Woods, Kenny Galladay, Julian Elliman. They're all the ones sort of in front of him in standard uh, rankings right now. Cooper Cup, Chris Godwin, Tyron Lockett, uh, Calvin Ridley, Tyler Boyd. So it's really a, pr- a matter of preference. You know, if we had more time, we'd probably go through and figure out if we, you know, wanted to compare those. Which ones would you take? Which ones wouldn't you take? Uh, we'll talk about that more as we go throughout the preseason. But it is something to watch for because he's one of the most intriguing receivers on the board. Uh, because you could see a lot of people pass over him because of the injury situation. Uh, so we don't really know what's going to happen there with that. Uh, speaking of receivers, the Rams. I think you look at the Rams, uh, Dylan. Uh, I mean, which one do you take? That's It's as simple as that. Which receiver are you going to take with the Rams? Because there's so many options, and we don't know exactly what's going to maybe happen from a game-in, game-out standpoint. Yeah, I think the issue with uh, this, it's not. It's a good problem for the Rams, but maybe on a fantasy level, you you have one week where Brandon Cooks is going to have 140 yards and two touchdowns, and other weeks where he he's going to have you know 50 yards on like four receptions, and you have Cup and Woods going off. So, I, in in my opinion, I probably just wait for the last one, which is Cup in this case, and um, his uh, standard ADP as well as PPR uh, is a little lower than Woods and uh, Cooks, but you can't really go wrong with any of them if they if if they're you know you feel like they're a little later than they should be taken and you see them on the board, I think you're going to be happy with all of them. You just can't really rely on one guy consistently week to week because the Rams offense is meant to take what it gets, not uh, try to force feed one player. Yeah, I think last season I had Woods and Cup, and so it was kind of a situation where – 
you know, you, you know what you're getting, but you at least feel like you're getting production out of both of them. And so uh, you, you probably get a pretty good bet. Uh, the Rams are going to score points. I don't think we're worried about that. And uh, at least you know you're getting production out of all of them. But like I said, it's kind of hard to rely on one because uh, they are kind of so evenly matched, I guess, when you consider how they're used in the offense. A couple more here. Uh, the Ezekiel Elliott situation, we talked about his holdout. What if it does last into the season? Uh, what do you do at the running back spot? Because that will certainly affect uh, your situation. If you, if you do draft Ezekiel Elliott, which, by the way, do not not draft him. Don't be don't be silly. Let's not overreact here. Uh, you need to draft him as quickly as you can, but uh, let's say, you know, maybe he doesn't play a game or two in the season. Uh, what do you do? And, Dylan, I think that's a fair question. Yeah, so right right now, the all the guys probably don't even have to draft them. Their ADPs are so uh, astronomical uh, just because everyone knows that once Zeke is on the field, he's going to be getting just about every carry, and there's almost no point to having anyone else. Um, but their first uh, preseason depth chart had Darius Jackson listed first. There's been a lot of positive uh, reviews about Tony Pollard from – uh, coaches and the front office that might be just them trying to tell Zeke's guys that hey we can do this without you if we really need to as they continue to negotiate they picked up Alfred Morris who single-handedly won me my only fantasy title a few years <laughs> or a number of years ago now um so <laughs> yeah I if, if he if his holdout lasts into the season maybe one of those guys you could pick up and kind of look at the reports leading into that game and see who's going to probably get the line share of the carries even then could be a, a running back by committee thing and you're only going to strike gold if one guy kind of makes a name for himself but something to monitor i think over these uh preseason games for dallas yeah for sure and uh it's it's warranted because we don't know when he's going to come back like we mentioned um but just keep that in the back of your mind in case you need to to turn to one of those guys if he doesn't play uh, maybe the first couple of weeks of the season or something like that. Um, another running back situation, and it's one we're probably going to be talking about a lot this year in Chicago, and that's the Bears. Uh, Dylan, it has become David Montgomery versus Tariq Cohen. Uh, it's it's quite a quite a fascinating situation there for the Bears. But you know what I say? It's a good problem to have if you like. There's two running backs you can use in different scenarios. That's probably what the Bears have. But I think you see a lot of people leaning towards David Montgomery right now in that spot. Yeah, over the last couple of years, it was the Jordan Howard, Tariq Cohen converse, uh, conversation. And especially last year, Cohen just blew him out of the water as people started uh, having less and less faith in uh, Jordan Howard's fantasy production, which is smart because he doesn't catch many passes, especially if you're in a PPR league. But yeah, David Montgomery, uh, he kind of went viral the other day for this one video of him just running, trucking uh, defenders. Uh, as if it was the regular season already the guy is ready to go yeah on fantasy pros they, they're experts 74 percent uh, are picking david montgomery over Tariq cohen which just not really looking into it too far before that i was a little bit surprised given what cohen's able to do in that offense with matt nagy so yeah it's someone to monitor and uh i think a type of guy that can probably make an immediate impact if you if his draft stock does fall the only issue right now is maybe everyone's kind of catching on so you don't want to be the guy that uh feeds into the hype of a player and then you end up drafting too high you want to find the guys that are maybe not making as many national headlines just local headlines yeah (laughs) right 
I'm sure we'll talk a lot about those two. I think that's going to be a debate probably throughout the season there with the, with the Bears running back situation, especially in fantasy, uh, because you, you may get some different value out of both of them, and, and there could be some uh, some tough decisions there to make uh, with that spot. But, all right, we wrap up with uh, Duke Johnson, who we mentioned earlier, and certainly we have to tie in the fantasy aspect to this now that he's traded to the Texans. Um, to me, it all goes back to what we've said multiple times now, how they use him. Are they going to use him maybe like the Browns were able to do where you feel like, you know, there could be games where this guy gets nine or ten catches out of the backfield. That's what it's going to come down to, especially if you're in a PPR league. Um, that th- That's what matters here because he can certainly be a much kind of better value, I think, uh, in terms of what he's able to accomplish. But is he in a better situation in terms of how they use him? That's what's going to come down to. Yeah, I almost feel like his fantasy value for the back half of the season has increased, but maybe the first half has decreased. I was ex- personally excited to see how uh, Freddie Kitchens and Baker Mayfield and the Browns offense implemented him uh, over the few weeks before Kareem Hunt comes back um, and then possibly at that point getting traded. But I think, again, we've talked about it. It comes down to what Bill O'Brien's really going to do, if he's really going to utilize the skill set or if he's going to stick to the same Omar Miller first and 10 run second and eight now and then kind of putting themselves behind the sticks rather than going early into uh when he's on the field and really feeding those uh ppr catches that you really need so i think it's a little bit of a mystery i, I don't think his fantasy value itself has probably changed a ton um but i personally would feel more confident if he was in the browns offense even if he's splitting uh snaps with um nick chubb compared to lamar miller with uh, bill o'brien as his coach Yep, too many unknowns there, and it does make Duke Johnson kind of hard to predict right now from a fantasy standpoint. So uh, as with all of this, we'll see what happens because we've got a whole preseason to get through uh, before the regular season gets started. But, Dylan, we made it. We made it through the first episode of the podcast. I think my dog barking only happened one time, which that will be a record (laughs) probably on this podcast as we go forward. Uh, But he loves football just like everyone loves football that's listening to this podcast. Uh, So, as they always say, uh, the worst one is always the, you know, the first one you do. So it's only going to get better from here. Um, And so that will wrap up our first episode. Uh, On next week's episode, we'll get into all the questions for the NFC teams, talk about more headlines, uh, more fantasy notes, whatever else comes up. Uh, Dylan, uh, let's go ahead and just plug everything on social media uh, and the website. That way everyone knows where to find everything. Yeah, so the website, if you listen to this, you probably know clutchpoints.com. Uh, you can find all of our content mostly on the NBA and NFL. We've really expanded our NFL coverage the last year and a half or so, publishing tons of news content, a lot of uh, original mini editorial and editorial content, uh, kind of trying to cover every kind of side of the NFL that we can, a lot more fantasy coverage as well. So yeah, no, it should be really exciting. Yeah, plenty, plenty more to come. You can find all of us uh, different locations. I know on social media, uh, I'm on Twitter at the Blake Level. Dylan's there at Dylan Reagan CP. Uh, we can't forget about Bob, uh, one of our producers, of course, uh, at B Garcia IV Sports. And then uh, we'll be able to find John somewhere. He, John, John does everything. Isn't that right, Dylan? He's all over the place. Uh, so you'll just you'll have to find John wherever you can find him. 
Yeah, in our notes here, I put um, dot 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 Twitch. <laughs> I know he's a little more into the, uh, gaming and streaming than uh, Twitter necessarily, but yeah, I definitely want to give him props as well. Yeah, no, those two guys are, are the backbone of the show. They make the show. Uh, we just sit around and talk, so uh, we want to make sure we get those guys live. But uh, yeah, that'll wrap it up uh, for episode number one of the Establish the Past podcast. And Dylan said, be sure to check out clutchpoints.com. We'll be back uh, with next week's episode. A lot more great NFL stuff on the way.